Before we start the show, we need your help. It'll take less than five seconds. We're trying to get to 100,000 downloads a month. We're a third of the way there. And so if you share this podcast with someone and they share it with someone, then we can meet our goal and change the noise on a wider scale. Please share this podcast with someone you know and ask them to subscribe or follow. If they listen and love it, encourage them to share as well. It's not often that a few seconds and a few clicks with your thumb can have such a big impact. Help us change the noise, challenge the status quo, and share curiosity and possibility with more people. Thank you. Hello. Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? Welcome to the Curious Fox podcast. For those challenging the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And on today's episode, Effie and I are going to talk about infidelity and consensual non-monogamy. There's a myth that you can't cheat if you're in an open relationship. Not only is this not true, but infidelity can be particularly painful within a consensual non-monogamous relationship because of all of the work that's been done to develop agreements and build trust. It's really hard to wrap your head around infidelity when the relationship allows for connections with others. The lies that protect an affair cut particularly deep and can feel unnerving and confusing. Whether an affair took place within your open relationship or you opened your relationship as a result of an affair, the complicated set of emotions, triggers, fears, excitement, distance, connection, pain, and healing that arise as a result of navigating through infidelity is both universal and deeply personal. This topic is significant for both of us because infidelity almost ended my marriage. And it ended mine. It took my wife and I two years to heal from the damage. And now, gratefully, we have an incredible relationship and a trusting friendship. Unfortunately, our relationship couldn't survive the affair. However, it taught me something that completely changed the way I look at relationships. I was cheated on. And I cheated. On today's episode, we're going to try something new. We want to talk about infidelity by telling a story. Well, two stories, actually. Sharing both sides of what happens when someone cheats. We'll break down what happened in our stories, both as a cautionary tale and as an example of hope and growth. We'll examine how relationships can be damaged from infidelity and what the road to healing could look like. My marriage was monogamous. The infidelity was deeply painful for everybody involved. And not only did it end that relationship, but it resulted in me swearing off relationships altogether. Having concluded, I was not good at relationships, period. I didn't want to go through the pain and the accompanying guilt again. It took a while for me to realize that it's not that I wasn't good at relationships, but I just wasn't good at monogamy. And now I know. That experience was the start of a journey that brought me here. Having the type of relationships I do 
and helping those who are trying to design thriving relationships for themselves. During my career as a relationship coach, I've spent years working with non-monogamous couples and surviving the damage after an affair, helping them to think through whether they should walk away or rebuild. I can tell you, the pain is no less. In fact, it can be more confusing for those in open relationships. My wife and I were actually one of those couples. That is how you and I met. She and I had a great relationship, and I never expected that we would have to sit across from a relationship coach one day, particularly for cheating, and particularly because we were open. When she and I were just friends, I told her that I identified as consensually non-monogamous, and she was enamored by the idea of it. It seemed to fit her. She had a pattern of two-year relationships, falling in love, and then cheating, and then moving on, and so she immediately identified as non-monogamous once I introduced it as an option. We didn't realize until years later that my idea of non-monogamy was different than hers. We were just so excited to finally be in a relationship where we wouldn't feel confined or shamed for wanting to explore other connections. And though we were open, neither of us actually saw anyone else for three years. We thought it was really funny and ironic that we could finally be open, but now we didn't want to be. We were completely lulled by the honeymoon phase. And instead of having the conversations about what it would mean to practice opening up, we trusted that everything would happen organically and beautifully. This is actually very common. Ethical Slut co-author Janet Hardy suggested that consensual non-monogamy can come in waves. Depending on where you are in life, people may feel more or less inclined to pursue or nurture other relationships. We may have boundless space in our hearts for all the relationships, but we have limited time and mental bandwidth in reality. ENM takes up a lot of bandwidth. If you're not familiar with its effects, it can be really hard to figure out which conversations to have when, how often, and how deep. And sometimes we can just get tired of having all the conversations. Let me ask you this question as it comes up a lot in my work. For you, when exactly does an affair begin? When does action slip into transgression? Well, in my case, her infidelity started in the most common of ways. A friendship turned flirtatious. Their conversation became more intimate and their banter more playful. And slowly, mutual feelings started to develop, though it went unsaid. Until finally, the sexual and emotional tension was consuming and they named their feelings for each other. For six months, they deepened their emotional connection. They spent more time together and eventually started to say that they loved each other. And while their relationship was not physical because the other person was in a monogamous relationship, and so they agreed not to cross that physical boundary, their relationship was deeply emotional. Now, during these same six months, my life was changing in many ways. After almost 15 years, I left my corporate job and began working for myself. And while that was exciting, it was also wildly humbling and fear-inducing. I was also in the midst of planning a wedding. My wife and I were not married yet, and we were planning an intimate June wedding at Brooklyn Bridge Park by the carousel with the water as our backdrop. My life was consumed with wedding details and a new business. I was also aware of a change in my wife. She used to be someone who would constantly forget where her phone was, and now she was carrying it with her wherever she went. She was working later, and most obvious of all, she started talking a lot about our mutual friend. She would recant stories and jokes or tell me about some discussion they were having. And I asked her if she had a crush on our friend. 
and she would deny it. And I assured her that having a crush and even wanting to pursue something was fine. We were in an open relationship, so we could talk through anything. And again, she denied wanting to explore anything with her. And my suspicions grew until finally I confronted her about my feelings, but not without one last piece of evidence. I checked her phone. I was suspicious. And so I checked her texts and I got the confirmation that I needed. She and I were actually on our way to dinner to discuss and finalize our vows for our upcoming wedding. And while we were getting dressed, the impulse to know the truth before I said these vows out loud overloaded my respect for her privacy. And I went into her phone. And on the car ride to dinner, I took a deep breath and I shared that I believed that she was having an affair. I said that either I was wrong and that my paranoia was something that we needed to explore or that I was right and that we needed to talk about what that meant. And for over an hour, she stepped around my questions. She gave generic statements and tried to focus the dialogue on me and how I was feeling. And finally, I said to her, you need to tell me. I need to know the truth. And she looked at me. And she told me that she was in love. She said that she didn't mean to fall in love, but that she was, and that she wanted to have a life with this woman. And something turned off in me at that moment, and I immediately started talking about canceling with the restaurant and calling our families to let them know that we weren't getting married. And she stopped me and she held my face and she looked at me and said that she wanted to marry me and that she wanted our relationship to continue to grow. And I told her that if we had a chance to move past this, I needed to know everything. I needed to understand how we got here and to rebuild my understanding of our past. Because the future is uncertain and the present is being created, but the past is supposed to be known. And when something like this happens, it feels like an earthquake beneath your feet. What once was firm and stable is now unpredictable and dangerous. And for me, the truth was the only way to stop the ground from shaking. How about you? How does your story begin? My experience is very different than yours and comes with a bit of a backstory that I'm definitely not proud of. I have a history of serial infidelity. I cheated on all my partners. Not intentionally, though of course I made all the decisions. I guess I mean, I wasn't conscious of my drivers at the time. I cheated when I'm at the peak of a relationship when I felt the happiest, the most settled, the coziest in a relationship. I felt the urge to explore. Even now, I'm either in five relationships at the same time, or none at all. I did the same with my husband. We were doing great. We bought a house, we were in flow, I started a new job. There was nothing wrong. I wasn't missing anything. I just got curious. It's shitty behavior for sure, and I knew it, because I eventually confessed, like I did in all my previous relationships, and predictably, it ended my marriage. When you're in a monogamous relationship, cheating is relatively clear-cut, though there certainly is a big grey area. For example, is sexting cheating? A question that comes up in my practice, particularly by those in open relationships, is what constitutes as cheating? Flirting? Emotions? Kissing? Non-penetrative sex? In my case, it was an emotional affair. They hadn't slept together. 
And frankly, it might have been easier for me if it was just sex. But it was love. It was planning a life together. And it was happening all too fast for me. My vision for our open relationship was us walking into the waves hand in hand. And instead, it felt more like I was being dropped into the middle of the ocean. And I know that that answer is different for everyone. For some, sex is cheating. And for others, it's falling in love. For some, flirting or porn or sexting or fantasizing about someone is cheating. And for others, it's not a transgression unless there's physical contact. And I think that this is something that people need to talk about and need to think about with their partners, monogamous or non-monogamous. Do you have the same definition for cheating? What made this an affair for me were the secrets and the lies. Whether or not they were physically intimate, there was an effort to keep me from the truth. I was made to feel crazy for believing that something was going on between them, and that kind of mind game resulted in deep mistrust. What also felt incredibly challenging is that they were engaged in activities that I longed to be a part of. They were going on dates to beautiful rooftop bars and taking long walks through Central Park, sitting by the oceanfront for hours and talking about their lives. There were letters and poems and desperate text exchanges. There was a level of connection and passion and deep emotional intimacy that I wanted from our relationship. And I had shared on many occasions that I was longing for more desire, more intimacy, more affirmation. And my wife said she was no longer in that space, that the new relationship energy had faded and so did her libido and her desire for passion along with it. And yet, here it was in full bloom and on display, but for someone other than me. I think emotional affairs are the hardest to wrap your head around. I feel like people feel the loneliest when they are faced with emotional affairs. Because somehow, sex is a widely accepted transgression. Everyone knows what it means when your partner has sex with someone else. But an emotional affair is harder to describe. Number of texts, special birthday cards, attention, and additional brain space may not seem to add up to much on paper and can be really hard to explain. But an emotional affair is certainly more than the sum of its parts. Cheating has very little to do with the structure of the relationship. It has a lot to do with your relationship with integrity. A transgression, cheating, is not about what you've done, but that what you've done is not what you agreed upon. It's not what you said you'd do or don't do. It's about not having the courage or the know-how to renegotiate what was agreed upon. Thus, anyone can cheat regardless of their relationship structure. One of the most challenging conversations I have observed between couples in the aftermath of an affair is blame shifting, trying to determine who's responsible for the affair. I struggled with this question. On the one hand, she's the one who clearly transgressed. However, I often blamed myself in my head. If I didn't nag so much, if I was prettier, if I was cooler, if I was sexier, if I was just this or that. And even though I knew that her connection with someone else didn't necessarily have anything to do with me, I still took it really personally. We're conditioned to believe that we should be everything for our partners and that their interest in someone else is because we are not enough. And while I don't believe that rationally, 
my heart and my ego was still holding on to that idea. I also believe that the beauty of an ethically non-monogamous relationship is that different connections feed different pieces, different needs, different desires. So you can have a fun, sexy, silly adventure with one partner and be fed by stability, nurturing, or intellectual connection with another. And so I love and subscribe to the notion that different people can meet different needs. The flip side of that was the narrative that some of her needs could not be met by me and that this other person was giving her something that I couldn't. And that was hard not to personalize. As much as I asked her what I could do to make her happy or what I could do to fill the gaps in our relationship, she insisted and assured me that their connection was not about me or us that she was happy in our relationship and that this connection was about her feelings for this other person and was not a reflection on her feelings for me. What makes this feel so complicated is that one person's happiness can cause the other person's misery, that one person's exploration is the other person's suffering. And I didn't know how to hold both of these truths or to find a way for both of us to be happy. I've observed people have a range of reactions to affairs, most akin to grief and loss. Some definitely turn on themselves, like you've mentioned, and doubt themselves and their worth. Others experience rage against their partner and the other person. In my case, my husband and I both agreed that the blame laid firmly on my side of the street at the time. On reflection, with all I've learned about relationships, people, the human mind since, I think, like most affairs, it was more complicated than that. Our confusion was mainly from me questioning whether what I did was really that wrong. He thought I was out of my mind, even considering that sleeping with other people was in any way, in any situation, okay or acceptable. For me, the jury was out, and I think that's what ended the relationship more than the actual affair. Although I was unknowingly questioning monogamy then, the person with whom I had the affair wasn't someone I planned to see for a long time, nor had he me. This is pretty standard for monogamy. In most cases, the other person engaged in the affair does not usually stay in the picture once infidelity is discovered, and the couple attempts to put the pieces back together. In the case of open relationships, however, the other person may turn into a metamor. That's hard. (laughs) That was the case with us. Just because their relationship hurt me, it didn't mean that they wanted to stop seeing each other. And while I was not thrilled with my wife, I now certainly did not like our mutual friend. And I couldn't understand why my wife wanted to be with her. So. I became a little obsessed with their relationship. It felt like if I only understood their dynamic, that I could find the answer of what to do in my relationship. I became a sleuth, trying to find out everything that I could while hiding my intentions under a pleasant tone and under the guise of curiosity and honest dialogue. Oh, how's your date? Did you guys get to see each other today? How are things going between the two of you? And as well as I tried to hide my intentions, my wife could feel that our conversations were really a thinly veiled surveillance, and she felt like I was trying to limit her autonomy. 
which is her most prized possession. I would go from trying to find out everything about their relationship to trying to pretend that it didn't exist. And my new metamorph felt like a ghost who was living in my house, haunting my waking hours and my dreams. And one significant mindfuck was I started to fantasize about them. The jealousy somehow became an erotic enhancer and their desperation for each other and their lack of access was a turn on. And so my head was filled with so much noise that I found it really difficult to find a safe and quiet space to recover. It was really challenging to heal from the wound of their affair while the other person was still so active in our lives. In my situation, my husband was as pragmatic as humanly possible which was in line with his overall personality, so I wasn't that surprised. I was willing and ready to share everything, but he didn't get tangled up in the story at all. Who, what, when, how often were of no interest to him. He firmly kept his focus on me and the decisions I made to break the relationship agreements we made each other. He was angry, but composed. He was hurt, but didn't lash out. He was affected, but practical. Once the dust settled, we began to untangle our lives. There was no other option on the table. It was clear, and based on what happened between us, that there was no going back. My marriage eventually ended in divorce. It was painful, but clean. It was simple and straightforward. We were to walk our own paths to healing. I knew that the relationship that I once had with my wife was also over. I knew that that relationship died that day at dinner when she told me that she was in love. The question was, could we build a new relationship and maybe one that was stronger than before? So we started working on our agreements and set forth on a path to healing together. And while I was committed to trying to make things work with my wife, my relationship with my new metamor, however, that was a different story. She was a mutual friend before the relationship began, so I would see her on occasion, and though I did my best to put on a pleasant face, I found her to be cold and unable to hide her discomfort or her frustration. Our relationship stood on a line between respectful and contentious. I worked very hard not to let my feelings towards her impact the way I showed up for my wife. I knew that if I scowled every time my wife mentioned her name, that she would stop talking about her. And since we were working on transparency and communication, I didn't want to create a barrier for her sharing. So she would share. And when it was appropriate, I would talk about my hurt or my angry feelings. We tried to create a space for my wife to love and miss her partner and for me to feel scared and hurt. My metamor and I did not speak for years. Over time, we would send messages through my wife, wishing each other a happy birthday or recommending a book. And then this past year, in the midst of quarantine, things changed. I think I was too tired from the global pandemic to hold on to the anger anymore. I suggested that my wife spend her birthday weekend with her partner, which resulted in her partner sending me flowers. I texted her and I shared that I no longer wanted there to be tension between us, which resulted in a few text exchanges a week until finally we were texting every day and becoming actual friends. It took almost four years to get to that point. And frankly, letting go of that anger felt like a relief. Metamore relationships are unique. There are very little models for healthy, thriving relationships between people who are romantically involved with the same person. 
The archetypes are often villainous. The mistress, the homewrecker, the vixen, the player. In my experience, the only healthy foundation for a metamor relationship is mutual respect. Then you build on that. I'm fortunate that my metamors have ultimately been my closest friends, but respect and civility are where we started. Frankly, some wouldn't be my friends if we weren't linked through a common lover. We are so different from one another. However, what was once respect turned into familiarity. Over time, trust grew and connection strengthened. And eventually, there was true friendship and love. This was not an easy process. It was a lot of intentional and determined work for all parties. However, these relationships are specifically hard if that person was the main protagonist in one of your most painful experiences when it comes to relationships. I am convinced that there are plenty of people who are listening to this right now are aghast that even though it took you four years, you established not only a civil relationship, but a friendship with this person. There is no easy way to do this. And unfortunately, it's the hurt party who has to put in all the effort, sacrifice, and ultimately make the leap of faith to get over and heal from an affair. I often find with clients the best that they can do is a don't ask, don't tell situation, which is fine. It's a success. So here is the million dollar question. How can you recover from infidelity? How can you heal from an affair and still thrive in a non-monogamous relationship? Well, I think you're going to need to tune into next week to find out. (laughs) Now that you know what happened, next week we're going to talk about what happened next. How can trust, integrity be rebuilt after an affair? How can non-monogamy be successful amidst a backdrop of so many lies? And how can we find a middle ground when one person is desperate for connection and the other is longs for freedom? Join us next week to find out. We'd love to hear your stories of hurt and healing. You can leave us an anonymous message at 201-870-0063 or email us a voice memo or an email at listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com. We're going to continue to have this conversation on Patreon with some bonus content and questions for our Patreon members. So you can also join Patreon and become a supporter of Curious Fox community to get access to exclusive events, podcast extras, Ask Me Anythings with Effie Blue, and so much more. Follow us on Instagram and we are Curious Foxes. And while you're there, click on the little blue button and follow so you can stay connected with us and join in on the fun. And since you're already on your phone, might as well join our Facebook group and Facebook page and like and share and follow this podcast. It's really easy. We've updated our website so that you can search on different topics from love or sex or relationships. So go on there, read some, listen some, watch some, and indulge your curiosity. This episode is produced and edited by someone who we feel completely faithful to, Nina Pollock. Our intro music is composed by Dave Saha, and we are so grateful for their work. And we are grateful to you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Curious Fox podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. 
We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind, and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. 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 Stay curious.